From Esperanza United, I'm Damaris Rodriguez, and this is Conversations Over Cafecito. At Esperanza United, we understand that visibility and representation matters. Join us as we interview advocates, community members, nonprofit leaders, trailblazers, and policy influencers about their contributions and gender-based violence, what they wish they had known, and how their life experiences have influenced who they are today. Our guests today are Jose Juan Lara Jr. and Leo Martinez. Um, in honor of Domestic Violence Awareness Month, we are highlighting the voices of Latino men in the movement to end gender-based violence, sharing how they came to the movement, what it means to be a Latino male identifying person to end gender-based violence, and their approach to engage other Latino male identifying folks from a culturally responsive practice. Um, so thank you for joining us today. Uh, before we start, we always like to ask our guests, how do you take your cafecito? Unfortunately, I don't drink coffee anymore. I used to be a heavy coffee drinker many years ago, but due to health reasons, I had to stop uh, coffee. I, I do drink tea. What about you, Jose Juan? Same. I don't drink coffee. Um, the closest thing I ever, I mean, when I was younger, I would drink coffee. <laughs> Um, but now I really don't. Uh, mostly the only thing caffeinated I drink nowadays is just like iced tea um, and then just hot teas. Um, my favorite is ginger lemon with a little bit of honey. Yes. I'm actually currently drinking some tea with honey, uh, green, blue, green tea blueberry. So I'm with you on that. So how did your journey begin in the movement to end gender-based violence? I was, what do you say, um, back in 2008, I had finished working in a uh, corporate America. I had a, um, a pretty bad a, a taste in my mouth about how, you know, a, uh, you know, that's probably in general how people get treated in corporate America. It's, that's why I sort of like thought about doing something different. And I, uh, and I decided to go back to school at the time, it was 2009. And I finished my my, um, my bachelor's degree in psychology and human services, and uh, I, uh, you know I'm asking one of the professors I had. A, uh, um, she said, you know, one of the best ways for you to maybe find a job is just to choose a um, you know a couple of a uh, nonprofits uh, on causes that you like that you would like to work on and you know and you might you know after volunteer for a while you might have what is a uh, you might get an offer you know to work in, in those organizations so so what i did is i looked for because they uh, two of the causes that were near and dear to my heart were um domestic violence and and what is a and also a, um, a lgbtq causes so i i volunteer i uh, at Camino Latino and the domestic violence organizations in Atlanta, and also at a, um, <clears throat> at a um, homeless a, a LGBTQ a, um, shelter uh, that was also in Atlanta. And I um, can't remember the name right now, it's escaping me. But, a, um, but while I volunteered there, within I think six months, I was offered a job at Camino Latino, and that's how I started my work, you know, sort of officially in the movement. But I really, you know, I was always a, um, attracted to work with families that were going through domestic violence because my family uh, um, went through domestic violence. So. Thank you, Leo. 
Jose Juan. I mean, I'm just listening to Leo. There's a lot of similar similarities in our in our journeys. Um, I was in the middle of my finishing my associates in social work, and one of the courses required for us to do a uh, internship somewhere. And then, um, so I so I interned at the Family Outreach Center in Brownsville, Texas, which is my hometown. And um, and basically, the premise of that organization was to pair up community members, volunteers, um, with families who are about to become child protective service cases. Um, and it went, and the pairing was based on the volunteers' strengths, skills of interest, areas, and so on. And um, it kind of stuck <laughs> since then. Um, and and after my the class had ended, I continued to volunteer there. And um, similar to to Leo, my professor said, you know, the best way to learn what you're interested in, you know, is to volunteer in an organization. So having this internship was it, that opportunity, because um, at that point, believe it or not, I was actually majoring in music <laughs> and um, in opera, actually, um, in voice. And so, um, yeah, and then from there, um, I was in the middle of my bachelor's program. And there was a job posting for a legal advocate coordinator position in my local, again, in my Brown, in Brownsville, Texas, in my hometown, um, for the local domestic violence rape crisis center. And you know, I was getting towards the end of my degree, and I was still volunteering with the family outreach center. And um, I was, I mentioned the position to the current executive director at that point for the outreach center, and she said, apply. Just apply. Um, I mean, you're about to graduate. You're about to enter the world of social services, and even if you don't get the job, at least it's 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 a good experience to interview for a prof professional position. So, twenty three years later, history was made, and I believe I was the first male advocate to be hired at uh, Friendship of Women, which is the name of the organization there. Um, and so that how that's how my journey began in this process. And again, like er everything is history at this point, <laughs> and continue to be his to continue to make history. Thank you for sharing that, um, both of you. I I love hearing how people got into this work and like what their trajectory is. Um, and I think that ties into. The next question, especially since y'all had some similar similarities in your journey, um, do you think that being a Latino man influences how you approach the conversation of ending gender-based violence? I think it does to a certain degree. I mean, um, and I think it influences more and, and the way I think back at you know the work that I've done and that the work that I keep doing is um, I sort of have this responsibility, feel this responsibility to uh, make sure that Latinos are represented well as far as, you know, what are the realities of Latinos. The reality is that we are no more violent than any other race and that, you know, and that that's something that we need to make sure that everybody knows. But also, you know, the responsibility to say, hey, yes, we are uh, males, you know, in general, are just as toxic or are just as, you know, it could be as, as abusive as any other race. So, yeah, so that doesn't make, doesn't make it easier. Still, there's a lot of work to do, and there's a lot to, uh, to look inward and to say, okay, how do we become 
less again, less aggressive, less violent. You know, we all are violent to a certain degree, and yeah, and we, you know, we make those choices every day. We just have we have to work on ourselves to make sure that we don't take those decisions to be violent at whatever interaction that we may be having. So, so it is a yeah, it's a personal journey, I think, for everybody, and it's a yeah, as an advocate, it's a journey also to to look at our communities and see how we can do better. Yeah, I would agree. Um, from from a person who is born male and have all these privileges, you know, and and of course those privileges are specific to certain communities. Because certainly being a Latino male in in our communities, um, certainly don't want to generalize, but you know, just generally speaking, um, there's a lot of privilege that we carry. You know, we're the head of households. We have, um lots of influence in how we raise our children, how our communities, in what directions. Um, and I think that's just in general for male privilege when we talk about male, priv male privilege and the use of violence and all of that. And so, um, yeah, I think, you know, I know that when I say something, it's taken as gospel, <laughs> not to be, um, you know, to, to point it in that conversation, but, you know, research shows that when men speak, it's it's taken as truth um and so that is like leo mentioned that's a responsibility that we have to take because when we say something it'll be listened to um and it has a great impact especially when we're we're talking about people those of us who are male identified uh, who do this work in whatever capacity it, it may be whether you're an actual advocate working directly with survivors of gender-based violence within the context of family, sexual, intimate partner violence, and so on. Um, or, you know, you're doing volunteer programming, trying to engage community members, particularly other men to do this work. So yeah, so I take it very seriously. And and that can be very dangerous <laughs> as, as if men were not very careful what we say, how we do, and how we practice uh, trying to end gender-based violence. Thank you both for, for answering that question. I feel like you touched a little bit on um, the next question, but if I would love to hear if you want to expand on it, um, is how do you engage other male identifying folks to be involved in ending gender-based violence, as specifically Latino male identifying folks? I um, I. I had the opportunity to work early on with a uh, first with with the whole family. Um, I mean, the, the program that I was working at they had, um, you know, a, um, a program that specific for men who were violent, as well as then for a, uh, um, for women or for a, uh, anybody who was a, a survivor, and as well as children. So we we looked at it in a holistic way. Um, so it was, it was a, um, it was a, actually a good way to, to, to figure out what is it that Latino men would, were doing differently or, you know, and, uh, and figure out actually they were not doing much different other than the, the, the cultural differences. Um, and then I had the opportunity to work with the, um, batteries intervention programs of, um, what do you say, uh, overseeing a, um, all the programs like in Georgia where I lived. And the one thing that I realized there was that first, the batteries into the programs in general didn't work that well uh, for more than probably about 50% of them. 
it was not a uh, it was not a good a, uh, inter it was not good interactions with those who were um, doing that work, unfortunately. And for the rest that were doing an okay job, only very few were really doing uh, you know work that was remarkable that actually was making a difference. And most of those were actually culturally specific programs. I am uh, not surprised there. For me, the best way to engage other men is just to be visible and, and be visible and, and present with, with women. You know, statistics show that primarily women or people feminine of center are most impacted by these forms of violence. And so how can I show presence in that? How can I show support? Because um, a lot of times I think, you know, early on in, when I started this journey and even it came up out of, out of my mouth, it's like, you know, when I was going to apply for this legal advocate coordinator position, I was like, well, that's, that's a women's issue, right? That's, that, that's, that has nothing to do with me. I'm like, well, it does, <laughs> right? And so, uh, it, so I, so for me, it's, it's from that perspective is like, how can I show up in public spaces um, in support um, of and with um, the communities that are most impacted by the violence that, that other men um, are engaging in, um, and and what is my own responsibility, and what is my own growth in that conversation? I'm curious, like, what do y'all think about what is the role of men and male-identifying folks in the movement to end gender-based violence? We need to find a way to do a better work of engaging more men in the movement, um, because, you know, the majority of men is the ones that are causing the harm and causing the, you know, and, and in general, men, we do have, uh, you know, toxic uh, um, masculinity traits that we have to uh, work on. Uh, but, but beyond that, I think there's, you know, such a variety of things that, a variety of roles that men can take in this movement. Regardless of the role, I think, uh, we need to think about what is it that um, all the different areas in which we can engage men to be part of the movement. Uh, um, whether it's the, and there's you know there's no no small role or big role it doesn't matter just uh, as far as we can get more men engaged. Uh, I think it will be more successful in general. Definitely echo a lot what Leo said, and it's just in the spaces that you occupy. And I think it's. Um, we need to simplify the conversation a little bit, right? Because um, I think sometimes when we talk about engaging men, um, people, it becomes like this complicated or overwhelming conversation. Um, and I think like Leo said, it's just start, it starts where you live, like in your own family. Um, you don't have to be doing this full time. You don't have to have knowledge or expertise. It's just, you know, of course there's some learning to that conversation, but it's like, you know, your, what's your role in your community? What's your role in your family? You know, in your workspaces, in your social circles, you know, just have a conversation. And sometimes just role modeling is not enough. <laughs> Part of role modeling has to be an active participation. And it's not easy, right? Um, particularly for men, because we're not socialized to be too emotionally expressive. And it's sometimes... <laughs> that could open you up to being a target of violence as well. Um, so, but for me, it, I mean, it's just uh, surrounding yourself by other men who do this work, who 
who are aligned with your with your with your practice of nonviolence and 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 recognizing what that means. Um, but yeah, I think it's just it's it's a simple conversation. And you know, for example, with when I started to do this work, um, my dad learned with me, <laughs> right? Um, and you know, just as an example, my dad is 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 old school. He's seventy some years old. Um, and he was learned to always help others, right? And so he was at the grocery store parking lot one day, and he saw this woman struggling, putting the groceries in the bag and everything. And so he went up to her, and he said, "Déjeme ayudarle. Let me help you." And the lady would say, "No, thank you. No, thank you." But my dad continued to insist, and so I had to have a conversation with my father. I said, "Dad, it's great that you're wanting to help, but for her, you're a strange man." She doesn't know what your intentions are. Only you know that, right? And so when a woman or when a person says, no, thank you, it's like, okay, I just wanted to help. And you walk away because again, you're a strange man. And you know you don't have to worry about that because in the world as men, we don't have to worry about as much about our personal safety um, as, as women do or feminine of center or other gender minority identified folks. And so like, think about that. And he, he, you know, he had to think about that for a moment. And of course, that goes against his upbringing of being helpful and opening doors and all of these things. And like, she don't know you, you're a stranger, you just kind of have to back off, right? And and there's ways of doing that, of course, you can you always offer say and ask for permission. And if you're not granted that, then you just politely say, just, you know, if I can help, just let me know. So those kind of Little, it, it seems like very, very simple things, but those kind of conversations, just how it starts, right? And again, that was part of also my unlearning and, and learning. And so, yeah, so I think it, it, it's just where, you, where you're at and you don't have to have know everything, but it's just those simple conversations. Thank you both. What a beautiful way to end, Jose Juan and Leo. Uh, this has been another episode of Conversations Over Cafecito brought to you by Esperanza United, building bridges and connections among research, practice, and policy to advance effective responses to eliminate domestic violence and promote healthy relationships within Latino families and communities. For more information, visit esperanzaunited.org. This program was produced by the staff at Esperanza United and music composed by Joey Horton. I'm Damaris Rodriguez. Thank you for listening. Hasta la próxima.